Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. What an amazing grace it is that God grants us to give us salvation. Good morning, church. Nice. Lively. My name is Garrett. I am the youth pastor here. Uh, good morning to all you watching online. There are a couple things coming up. <clears throat> it's not what it looks like. There's a couple things coming up that uh, I want to draw your attention to. Uh, a celebration for life, uh, of life for Al is being live streamed on Saturday. Uh, you can get the link at our website, northgatebaptist.ca slash calendar is the page in which you can find that link. Another thing, Refugee Bridge is coming. They're having a fundraiser next week. Uh, for more information, also go to northgatebaptist.ca slash calendar. You can find the event there. If you're interested in anything else that's happening at our church here at Northgate, uh, through the congregation, the ministries taking place here, you can find that in the bulletin, or you can go to northgatebaptist.ca. Fantastic. Allow me to pray as we continue our service this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you've given us this grace. God, that, um, that we acknowledge we can't work, that we can't um, attain relationship, union with you on our own. God, that you are the one who does the work, that you are the one who grants us the grace. God, this amazing grace that saves the wretches like us. God, so we thank you for that. We thank you um, for, uh, for the word we're about to hear. God, as we hear from your word, as we hear your teaching, we pray that it would transform our minds and our hearts. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. How are you? Good to see you and everybody else. Uh, did you dismiss? Did you dismiss the kids? All right, all right. Kids can be dismissed. Well, good morning uh, uh, to both to those who are here in person and to those who are joining us online. Uh, glad that you can be here with us this morning. Uh, I do believe that God is going to work among us uh, in a powerful way as we look at His Word this morning. And with that in mind, you can turn with me in your Bibles. Um, to the book of Philippians and to our passage, which is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I think this passage uh, we're looking at this morning um, is perhaps not just one of the most beautiful and beloved passages in the book of Philippians, it's actually one of the most beloved passages in the entire Bible. I've known many people. Uh, who have these words among their favorite verses, have them committed to their memories and to their hearts. Um, it, this is a beautiful passage uh, we're looking at this morning. In fact, sometimes I actually have a hard time reading this in the ESV version I preach from because I've, I'm so used to the NIV uh, translation that I grew up with. And when you hear these words, I think you will know why these words stand out as being something truly special, as they speak so powerfully about Jesus himself, and Paul is just further exploring that theme of what it means to live a worthy life in Christ 
as he transitions this morning to talking about finding joy in imitating Jesus in humility. Uh, Follow along with me, if you will, as we read from uh, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that in this place, every knee, every heart would be bowed before you, and every tongue would confess that you are Lord and God of our lives. And in doing so, that, Lord, you would just allow this truth, this truth about who Jesus is to not only be revealed to us, but, Lord, would be real to us, would be something in our, in our, that finds that place in our hearts that's, that allows us to just submit all the more as you continue the work of salvation within us, that, Lord, this would draw us passionately and fully and directly to more Christ-likeness in our own lives. Um, and Lord, this can be difficult lessons. Uh, Lord, as we, as we seek humility. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would give us humble and surrendered spirits as we hear from you this morning. And Lord, we ask that Jesus, that you would send your Holy Spirit to be moving among us, to be our teacher, to be our guide, And that, Lord, you would hide even me behind the shadow of a cross so that, Lord, that we might all see Jesus clearly this morning and be humbled in his presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we have before us, it's it's one of those passages where as a pastor, you're not even sure where to begin. It's probably actually not unlike, you know, our Thanksgiving meals last week when there was so much good food on the table. You're like, where do I start? Like, it just, it's like... Yeah, this is a smorgasbord of truth in this passage we're digging into this morning. And every bit of it, I think, is just, it's, it's delicious and satisfying for our souls. It's going to be so fun. Uh, but there is a place to begin, and that's at the beginning. Uh, because while Paul is sort of outlining so many wonderful things in this passage that we need to know about Jesus, we need to know about our life as believers, uh, he's actually doing, he's revealing these truths 
really by linking one of the one truth to the next truth to the next truth to the next truth. He's building an argument. Uh, he's like, if this is true, then this is true, then this is true, then this is true, and then this is what you need to know. It's like a chain reaction of truth. Uh, so we're just going to go through these things one at a time, and it all begins in verse 1, where he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. And we're going to just stop there because our first lesson this morning is already right there. And that's simply that you have been greatly blessed by having Jesus in your life. There are so many joys to be found in Jesus. Um, in fact, um, that's even true, even though this verse contains what I would call like a rhetorical if. Uh, because Paul isn't asking, you know, if, if any of these things are true. Like, I'm not sure. Like, you know, Paul's not saying you may or may not have these things if you're in Christ. He's actually saying you do have these things. Um, it's like when my kids say, you know, I don't know if I could take out the garbage today, Dad. I say, well, if you have two legs, uh, you can do it. You know what? Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, go count your legs and make sure you have what it takes to do this job. I'm saying, no, you got this. Like, this is not an if that you should be questioning. This is something you should already know. Uh, Charles Swindoll, who's a lot better at the original languages of the Bible than me, even suggests that we should change the if in this verse uh, to the words, since you have, uh, to get the proper sense of the meaning here. Paul's saying, since you have encouragement in Christ, since you have comfort from love, since you have fellowship in the Spirit, since you have affection and sympathy. He's saying, since you have all of these things in Christ, they're already yours and they're yours in abundance. These are among the joys and the blessings that we find in a life of faith. And I think at this point, it'd probably be remiss if I didn't point out something very important here, that these things are found in Christ. Uh, there's nothing here that originates with man. There's nothing here that is dependent on human effort or determination alone. Of course, you can do things in your life that will help these things along. You know, we're going to talk about working out your salvation next week. You know, cooperating with the Holy Spirit as it works in your life. Uh, but the source and the strength of each and every one of those, these things is found in Christ. So if you're looking for these blessings in your life, but you're looking somewhere other than Jesus, you're looking in the wrong place. You have been greatly blessed by Jesus. That's Paul's very first point. But he doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 2. And he says, well, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, don't miss the next message that Paul is giving us, the next lesson. He's saying that our individual blessings in Christ, I mean, as awe-inspiring, as amazing as those things are, they're not complete until we have found true fellowship together as believers. Or to say it another way, if you have experienced the joys of salvation in Christ personally, that's wonderful. But one thing that may still be missing is the joy you find when you live in unity with the body of Christ. And this is an important point because, you know what, in general, as people, people are real, we were really good at dividing things. Uh, we're really good at putting labels on people. We're good at breaking people into groups. And in Paul's day, that kind of thing came down to groups like the Jews or the Gentiles, or the rich or the poor, or the slave or the free. 
And those people didn't get along very well. Um, those were the walls of division uh, that divided people in Paul's day and age. Because you know what? Most people, realistically, most people view the world through some kind of lens that says, this is us and this is them. And we still see this today. There's still these walls of division around us. Things like political affiliation. Most people fight like cats and dogs. Or race. We see that all the time. Denominations. And now even things like COVID. Vaccination status. Things are dividing us. And it's getting ugly. And that kind of division, Paul is saying, that is not from God. And it's also very damaging to the church. And you know, I understand that the church is made up of all kinds of different people from all different kind of walks of life with all kind of, you know, from both sides of the political aisle with differing opinions and all kinds of current events. But I want you to hear this. We can disagree with each other without being divisive. Uh, Disagreement does not have to destroy our unity. But how do we do that? Like how, I mean, that's almost a concept people have trouble thinking about. And today it's like, you know, you're either with me or for me. But how do we disagree and yet not divide? With all of these things threatening to divide us, how do we find unity? Well, that's exactly what Paul tells us next. As we go into verse 3. Where he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. You see, that unity that we're looking for as believers, it is found in humility. And that's the third lesson here. Even in disagreeing with each other, these are words that this kind of humility still draws us together so that we can be united in Christ. And I want you to think just about how profound and even how countercultural uh, a request this really is of Paul. Because we don't see, we don't see this every day. I mean, uh, the, it said the ancient Greeks used to proclaim, be wise, know yourself. Rome said, be strong, discipline yourself. Psychology says, be confident, assert yourself. Materialism says, be satisfied, please yourself. Pride says, Be superior, promote yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. But only Christianity says, be unselfish and humble yourself. And to be honest, that's probably the reason that unity is so hard sometimes for us. Because things that Paul's talking about, things like self-ambition, things like conceit, things like demanding my rights, Those are things that come easy. They come naturally to us. Quite a few years back, a a man named Robert J. Ringer wrote a book called Looking Out for Number One. It was a bestseller for 46 straight weeks. Like it just, wow, everybody wants that. But how well do you think a book called Looking Out for Number Two would, would sell? It probably wouldn't see the light of day. You see, humble living... It doesn't promise to get you ahead in the world. It doesn't give you any kind of competitive advantage. It doesn't necessarily help you balance your bottom line or get promotions at work or close any deals. From a worldly perspective, there's very little benefit and found in humility. 
But from the perspective of eternity, understand humility makes all the difference. Because if there's one thing that gets in the way of our unity as a body of Christ, it's pride. It's just, it's just plain old selfishness. Nothing destroys harmony among believers faster than having each person, person put themselves first. Or have each person say, I'm going to look out for, for number one. The book of James even says in James chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You know, that's not a good look for a church. And that's exactly what Paul is warning us against. And that's what humility sets us free from. And in reflecting on that this week, I began to wonder if perhaps we don't talk about humility nearly enough as churches today. Because the Bible talks about it all the time. Listen to a few of these verses. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Mark 9, verse 35. And Jesus sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2, we're told to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. We need humility in our lives as believers. We need humility in our walk with God. And understand, that's not just for unity. Humility matters in so many other areas of our faith as well. Uh, it's humility that allows us to admit our need of a Savior. It's humility that makes our hearts willing to take the role of a servant. It's humility that allows us to put our own agenda aside so that we can trust in Christ. It's humility that drives us to our knees in prayer to say, not my will, but yours be done. It's humility that provides us with a teachable spirit. It's humility that enables healthy relationships and mutual submission among one another. And it, it's humility that ultimately lets us, you know, surrender control of our lives to God. It's that letting go of our need to be first. And to me, that's what true humility is all about. It's really about surrender. You see, we have these weird concepts of, of humility, but it's not, humility isn't about being a doormat and just letting people walk all over us like I'm being humble because I'm being a victim. And it's not about never making a fuss. It's not about, you know, just denying your self-worth. It's like, no, I'm humble, I'm just not worthy. No, that's, those aren't, that's not what humility is. Humility is about surrendering your life to Christ in all things. It's about putting Him first and being willing to put yourself last even if that means others can go before you. And the wonderful thing about true humility, and I think you need to hear this, the wonderful thing about humility is how freeing it is. 
Most people don't think about that. But when you find humility, you realize you don't have to worry about other people's expectations. You don't have to sort of live in fear about what other people are going to think. You don't have anyone else to please except God himself. Humility, it frees you from, from that life of frenzy, that life of striving. That, that It frees you from running after all, of, after all of those different things people try to run after to find happiness or, or to prove their worth. There's no need to inflate your own importance. There's no need to brag about your accomplishments. There's no need to, you know, for self-promotion to boost your ego. The humble person has no need to be first. And they have no problem being last. They have no desire for personal glory. Because the humble person knows who they are. They know what God has done for them. And they have surrendered their agendas and their egos and their attitudes and their desires and their everything to God. And that's where our next lesson comes in. Picking up again, reading in verse 5. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And here's the next lesson we need to learn when it comes to humility and living in humility. And that, that lesson is Jesus himself is to be our example. Jesus is what humility looks like. Because I want you to think about all that Jesus Christ laid aside to come to earth to be our Savior. All that he surrendered. I mean, he, he went from being the king and the creator and the ruler of the universe to living as a carpenter in Nazareth. He went from fellowship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit and the heavenly hosts of angels constantly around him to a place where he was associating with prostitutes, thieves, lepers, and outcasts. Jesus went from all the glory of heavenly splendor to a life of utter poverty in this world. He went from a mansion in glory to a filthy manger in Bethlehem. He went from the comforts of heaven to the cruel cross of Calvary. Jesus went from this is my beloved son to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did it all, not for himself. He did it for us. Jesus is the perfect example of not demanding his own way or his own rights, but instead of putting other people first. You know, I was reading Chuck Swindoll's book, Laugh Again, this week where Swindoll writes this, he says, what is the most Christ-like attitude on earth? He says, think before you answer too quickly. I'm certain there many would say love. And that's understandable, for indeed, he did love to the uttermost. Others might say patience. Again, not a bad choice. I found no evidence of impatience or anxious irritability when I studied Jesus' life. Grace, he says, would be another possibility. 
No man or woman ever modeled or exhibited the grace that he demonstrated right up until the moment he breathed his last. As important as those traits may be, however, they are not the ones that Jesus himself referred to when he described himself for the only time in Scripture. I'm thinking of those familiar words in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Did you catch the words? Gentle and humble. According to Jesus' own testimony, that is the most Christ-like attitude that we can demonstrate. And this passage that Paul writes here is all about the humility of Jesus on full display. And again, that should serve as an example to us as we seek to follow Christ. You know, Paul even says in our passage in verse 5, he says, have this mind among yourselves. And many other translations translate that to say, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's the New Living Translation. And as believers, we should know that Christ-likeness is our ultimate goal. That's why we're being shaped. That's why God is at work in our life. We are called to live like Jesus lived. To love like Jesus loved. To, to serve as Jesus served. To think as Jesus thought. To act as Jesus acted. Because the Bible tells us we are to imitate him. Imitate Christ. We imitate him in prayer. We imitate him in our suffering. We imitate him in forgiving one another. We imitate him in our love for one another. We imitate Christ in our unity, in our sacrifice. We imitate Christ in all things. But I think to start doing that, we need to begin by imitating Christ in humility. And it's in that humility, that attitude of submission, that I think brings true unity among believers. I love the, the words of A.W. Tozer in his book, Pursuit of God. He says it so well. Saying, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same tuning fork, are automatically in tune with one another? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. In the same way, he says, so 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. Were they to turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship? And that's our calling as the people of God and our calling as a church. It's to take Christ as our example, to tune our hearts to his and to imitate his humility to one another. And while the world may often overlook a life like that, that is exactly the kind of life that God takes notice of. In fact, look at verse 9. Where it says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And there's two things here that I want us to see in these verses. Two lessons I think we need to learn as we wrap up this morning. 
And the first lesson of the two is this. Simply that humility in our lives is easier if we keep the greatness of Christ in view. Because you know what? Knowing who Jesus is, knowing the truth about Jesus Christ is so important, so fundamental, that it changes everything. Changes everything for eternity. It changes the way we see the world. It changes the way we understand the universe. It changes our priorities. It changes our values. And it changes us. Seeing Jesus high and lifted up gives us a more proper and a truer sense of ourselves. And it humbles us. And you know, after these words of Paul's, maybe we should just pause and reflect for a few moments on the greatness of Jesus. As we're told, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the way, the truth, and the life, the great I am. He's our creator. He's our redeemer. He's our savior. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the author of our faith, the only begotten son of God, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When his disciple John saw him fully revealed on the island of Patmos, he fell down on the ground as though he were dead. When Moses saw the Lord in the fire of the burning bush, he hid his face in fear. When Isaiah beheld the glory of God in the temple, he said, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's the name above every other name. He's the one before every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. That great passage in Revelations 5, beginning in verse 11, says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice that worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Is anyone feeling humbled yet? We should gaze upon the greatness and the majesty of Jesus and just marvel at who he is, because nothing is more humbling for us than seeing the greatness of Christ. But we should also understand here a second lesson. And that lesson is this, that humility is also the path to success in the sight of God. Jesus was humbled before he was exalted. And that's an important lesson for us. One of the pastors at Willow Creek uh, from the church in Chicago writes in his book, Descending into Greatness, saying this. He said, in the vocabulary of the world, down is a word reserved for losers and cowards in the bear market. Down is a word to be avoided or ignored, especially in polite society. It's a word that colors whatever it touches, down and out, downfall, downscale, downhill, downhearted. And if that weren't enough, There's this crowning blow against the word, it's antonym, up. And up in our high-voltage society is a word that has come to be cherished and almost worshipped. It's a word reserved for winners and heroes. It is a word to be admired and pursued. 
Unlike the word down, up positively covers, uh, 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 colors everything it touches. Upscale, up and coming, upwardly mobile, upper class. In our society, up is clearly the direction of greatness. We believe in ascending to fame, money, power, comfort, and pleasure. From the world's perspective, it's the only way to go. Just as a compass needle points north, the, human, the needle of the human heart points up. Yet Jesus turns all of this thinking upside down. In what may be the most countercultural thought in the Bible, that if you want to be truly great, then the direction you need to go is down. That you descend into greatness. That greatness is not a measure of self-will, but rather a measure of self-abandonment. And that humility is the path to true success in the sight of God. Just listen to a few more verses this morning. Mark 9, verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Matthew 18, verse 4, therefore whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Matthew 23.12, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And 1 Peter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. See, in today's world, humility might not get you very far. But one day, everything's going to change. One day, everything will be different. One day, Christ will return and set all things right. And on that day, humility will be what matters most. Because humility is the path to true success in the sight of God. Because as hard as it is for us to sometimes admit it, the gospel is not about us or getting our own way or glorifying ourselves or scoring points for our political points of view. It's about Jesus. And it's about living the way he has called us to live. So let me just ask you as we close this morning, what would happen in your life if you took this teaching seriously? What would happen if you made an effort in every situation and every relationship you have to put others before yourself? To look out first, not for your own interests, but the interests of the other person. Ask yourself, how would that affect your marriage? How would it affect your relationship with your kids? or your friendships, or your neighbors, or your coworkers? How would that just even affect the people that you meet as you go through life, you know, go through your day? How would that reflect, uh, how would that affect your relationship with the people in this church? What does it mean for you to treat the people in your life the way that Jesus did? And maybe let me ask you this right now. Are you living right now with tension between you and someone else? Are you in a dispute? Are you, are you quarreling? Are you in a fight? 
Has there been a broken relationship? And I know that many of us, again, find ourselves divided with friends right now over matters that are not related to eternity. And to be direct on this again, it's COVID. COVID is dividing people. We're fighting about this stuff. And it's dividing friendships and families and I know of even many churches. And what we're seeing because of that is we're seeing in many of our own lives exactly what Paul is warning us about here. And I think that if Paul were writing to the church today, he would be urging us once again to get along in the spirit of unity in Christ. He would be telling us to love one another so much that we put our private agendas on hold to put the interests of others ahead of ourselves. So if you've hurt someone or if you've said something you probably shouldn't have or done something, or you have a relationship that's strained or broken over those things that you've said or done, my encouragement to you this morning is in the spirit of humility and love, I would urge you just to go to that brother and sister in Christ and just make things right. Because I believe that is what humility, the humility of Jesus would ask of each and every one of us and and our role in that relationship. Because humility is a joy and a blessing. And it's key to our unity as believers. It's a step of surrender we all need to take. It's the path to true Christ-likeness. And there is joy to be found in living a humble life of loving others and following Christ. Let's pray. Father God, um, we need to be humble. And Jesus is humble So we need to be more like Jesus. We need to follow his example. And we ask that, Lord, you would help do that work in our life of transformation. Empower us through your Holy Spirit to make those changes a reality. So that in our lives, we wouldn't be fighting and looking up for number one, but Lord, we would have that attitude of we must decrease and you must increase. We would have that attitude that says, hide me behind the shadow of the cross so that people don't see me, that they see Jesus. Release us from all of that striving that we go through in life, all of that desire to please people, that desire to, be, to get ahead, the desire to be seen as someone of value and worth and accomplishment. And Lord, help us just to rest in the knowledge of who you made us in Christ Jesus and rest in that assurance of our salvation in Jesus, in Jesus Christ alone. May our eyes be fixed on you. And Lord, even in fixing our eyes on you that we might not see ourselves, but Lord, we would see others first. And that Lord, in embracing that humility, we would see unity in our relationships and unity in our church. And Lord, we need unity right now. Lord, the, the world is straining us. You know, current events are, are, you know, have people taking sides and putting up walls and making the us and them decisions, dividing us into camps. But Lord, you have shown us a better way. You have given us an example to follow. That we would put our, our pride aside. That we would descend into greatness. That we would surrender that we would live as servants 
considering others better than ourselves. And Lord, in all things, that we would be gentle and humble in heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.